this is episode 32 of High Fantasy, member of the Broken Charts Network. And has anyone been productive in the past two weeks? Because we're staying on schedule. Yes, uh, a bit. Um, things are going slow. I got rejected by the editor, Shocker, or publishing company. So, um, so I uh, written a bit more in a drama does love, trying to get that done. We're, you know, we're, we're kind of in the home stretch in terms of story. Like we've got one more big scene and then it's all like, then it's to the end. So we're trying to plan that out and figure things out. What is this um, whole home stretch and done? And <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, done, done is a relative term because then we got to go back and edit and rewrite and all sorts of other stuff. So uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a little while before we're, done done but you know what can you what can you do <laughs> i wrote 116 words i just looked <laughs> nice. but something. i'm trying to like i've rewritten the start a couple times just trying to like get the right tone i want mm, that's hard once you figure it out it goes a little quicker but hopefully yeah. i'll get there right it, it so you, you you've kept 116 words you've probably written like Fifteen hundred, two thousand, just the same hundred sixteen to ten, twelve times. Lord knows I've done that. I've only made like, or one time I rewrote like ten thousand words and ended up with an extra like seven. So on word counts, it was only like plus seven, but the entire section was a lot better. So it just kind of that kind of depends on how you want to look at the whole, you know, word counts. I have been working slowly on the outline for. The Victorian story. Uh, yes, last week was much more productive than this week because it seems like only Saturdays are when I'm able to work on it. And I, I hit the point that like I need to start world building again because I need to know people's names and like positions <laughs> in society. It's like a shit. That's the fun thing. I love making. I, I hate societies. names. There's nothing more I hate than coming up with names. I'm terrible. At it. <laughs> I am awful at it. Just yeah, I feel like they're always shit when I. And start making people like so many times it's just like sci-fi name and like it'll pull up a generator or something i was just like yeah that one (laughs) just put it in there my issue is because it's not a fantasy setting not entirely it's in england it's like i need to find english names that somehow fit like i'm worried if i I just choose something that's like that's way too common for a noble or vice versa and just like So that's a little. Just go with the old small. Uh, there's houses. a there's a really good name gener- generate th- generator out there where you can go like you can pick like ancient world, medieval Europe, Africa, New World, and from that you can do like all sorts of different sub names. Hmm. So uh, uh, it's like if you search Don John name yeah, editor, okay, yeah, I've heard of that one. It, it's pretty good, and it, you can get really you know just different stuff with it so yeah i should have to play with that and actually have it saved and like i have a bunch of name or generators that i use at various points and that's one of them see he's got a really good um like dungeon uh f- f- creator for D. so i've used that quite a bit and like in random encounters or treasures or whatnot so that's what i use it for i'm like oh this guy's got a name editor this guy's got too much time on his hands <laughs> thank you oh he's got a cthulhu mythos name yeah. generator <laughs> nice. yeah so it's uh I, I recommend his stuff i have no way to affiliate with it i just recommend it because i like using it all right so our topic for today is unintended consequences of characters or world building or authors unintended Right. So and we've all, at least I've been there where we hit this point to, we keep going down the rabbit hole 
and we're like, okay, well, I have this family and you just keep going backwards in time. Like, oh, we need to know what happened here or this object. You're like, oh, we need to know everything. So you just start, keep going backwards and backwards and backwards and backwards and backwards. Like then all of a sudden you've gone like super far in all these directions and you haven't written anything and you don't know where to start or where to stop with your story. So that's, that's sort of, you know, when I, when I think about unintended consequences, like unintended consequences of decisions you make and how far you need to go back, you know, so when, when you're explaining things. Yell about George R. R. Martin, his insistence <laughs> on only writing about Targaryen history for the past five years and put out, putting out a whole book about Targaryen history and the history of the world of the Song of Ice and Fire. And then apparently there was some generations of Targaryens that didn't get enough attention. So he just wrote a whole new book about those guys and is putting that one out. Oh, but fun. we still don't have the next book. Wow. I didn't know of that. Yeah. Uh, it's fire and I- fire and fury or something. No, that's that other book. Fire and Ice right. Something. I saw something like that. It was like, it was a headline. It was like, yes, there's a new game of Thrones book, but no, it's not the next book. And like all the comments were just, fire they were so pissed <laughs> like at some point you've got to write the next book yes right. history of your story is fun but you're telling a story not the history i mean that's what people hope but it does, <laughs> that's I, what people hope i mean is that what tolkien did sort of he did tell a story he, he succeeded in that and he told a couple actually but we have so much Which, more it's the Silmarillion. yeah There's things a like that a lot, a lot of the history were in separate books you know like like yeah, he gave us the whole series at once right and then he went back and started writing other things i guess he kind of wrote it all at the same time i mean he did succeed in actually finishing the story but he also spent quite a lot of time and paper on stuff that you had no idea you needed to know and you probably <laughs> didn't need to know i thoroughly enjoyed the Cimmerillion, even if there was a lot of stuff in there that didn't make much sense but <laughs> i had already read the full trilogy it didn't make sense because maybe that's an unintended yeah. consequence not that it doesn't make <laughs> some story. Yeah. Yeah, the um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy was released between 1954 and 1955. All three books. That's impressive. Um, and The Hobbit um, was in 37. So it looks like he just wrote them all and just, they're like, these books are too big. So we got... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know that he was actually pissed off at the fact it needed to be three books. He wanted it released mm. as one. Right. And then there was some more stuff in like 62, uh, 74. So does that count as an unintended consequence? Your book needs to be three books because you wrote too much? Could be. I mean, yeah, you, you, you start out too grand, build too big of a world with too many characters or have a two. Part of the issue is he starts pretty much at the beginning, right? Like there's a lot of traveling. There's a lot of, you know, Sauron is building his powers. There's a lot of stuff going on. Bilbo's so, 111th birthday is like 100 and something pages long. Are you kidding me? I'm pretty sure that first chapter is. I yes. anything actually remember trying happens. to read it. Granted, I was rather young and Sorry. I couldn't get through the I just made a mistake part. that is an unintended consequence of the way the book was published. I just said it was a good series. It was one book, but because they were forced to publish it as three, everyone looks at it as a series. Yep. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that can be an entertaining consequence. Didn't Sanderson like break the uh, publishing yes. so method for Words of Radiance? Words of Radiance. It had to. Each copy of the book had to go through the machine twice. There was like huge articles about this, kind of showing like this is how it comes out the first time, and it's like you know 
several inches thick. It goes again, add another couple inches, and then it gets yeah. hardbound and stuff. And then England does a smart thing, and well, typically Europe in general publishes it as two novels. Not that I want to buy it twice, but no. It's like, how do you make an ending in there? You, mm. <laughs> well, one, an unintended consequence of this form is uh, so the King Killer Chronicles, uh, Patrick Rothfuss, and uh, he actually wrote the entire story. Then he got published, and they decided no, it has to be in multiple books, and he wanted to do it in one, I think, or I could be misremembering. But the point is, he wrote the entire story, and now we are still waiting for the third. Didn't book. he like he outlined the entire story or something, and then he had everything. He had everything written. set up. Went to the publisher, and I, I imagine he probably did some rewriting of the first book when it was published. But then he changed so much in the course of the first and second books that it ruined the outline. It, certainly, things like that, like one of the more popular characters, Auri, she wasn't in that originally. She was made. And now she has her own standalone book. That's what happens when you have compilation series. Pantsers. Outlines. Or pantsers. I'm sorry. I have a prejudice, but... You don't say. <laughs> yeah. I think that is... Uh, um, just with the, like, the things of um, authors doing these uh, collaborative efforts. So you've got like the... Uh, God knows Dresden writes enough short... Or Butcher writes enough short stories for various uh, publications... But because you give the authors chances to write outside the narrative, it lets them build characters that might otherwise not have had as much depth. Yeah. Right. But you you've got to be careful with that mm. in terms of, you know, if, if you're going to have those short stories and side stories, not making them critical to the, mm. the, the story, right. And to the character development and, you know, cause a lot of people either won't search them out or don't know they're there. And so if someone's like, hey, you know, if he references a short story in the main series of books this person's been reading, they're going to be like, what, what happened here? And so that's, that's a weird balance to strike between character building and all this other stuff and also keeping it in line with the same story that you don't need to know that information for yeah. to make sense. Like if you look at Dresden, if you just read the main series, you would never hear the idea of the Oblivion War. Right. It just it, Dresden would never hear about it. It's just never going to come up. It's very clever, yeah. though. Yeah. You know, in terms of the Oblivion War, you're going to mention it, do it that way. Yeah. It's the Oblivion War. I guess that's an unintended consequence when it comes to uh, Malazan and the way they structured that, in that, like, Erickson wrote his 10 book series focusing on a certain section, but references things that happens in the other series mm. because they're important world building. But if you didn't read them, then you kind of just feel left hanging. Mm -hmm. Like a major character died off screen between books that you wouldn't know if you don't go out and read the other books what happened major side character that doesn't really show up on page mm. but like it's weird that they would he would even mention it in the main series when it was something that happened on screen somewhere else it adds confusion when it doesn't need to be yeah don't yeah. add confusion especially <laughs> when you're infamous for being confusing yeah then, then you have the whole idea of like finding the middle ground well, I mean, this is true for stories in general. Like, we are a certain type of people where we want to know everything about everything. But, you know, a lot of readers, they don't. You know, they just want to read the story and that's cool. So you got to be careful that you don't have the unintended consequences of writing too much and boring somebody who doesn't really care about all these little details and really just cares about the characters in the story. Yeah, if you have a fixation on mechanical details of like weapons or something you're gonna 
who just don't care. I want the pretty fights. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm reading a biography about Washington and Chernow is fantastic when it comes to detail and he'll talk about like different qualities and then show traits that Washington, like letters from Washington where he talks about like the number of bushels of wheat or whatnot. And it's like, it's extremely minute detail. And for me, it doesn't bother me, but I can see that some people would be turned off by the amount. It, it's backing up the research, but it's so much yes. extra word. So for the Dresden episode last week about Lovecraft, I had read At the Mountains of Madness. And it took me several months to get through it because at certain parts, it was just it was just like travel. It was these characters going through the city that shouldn't exist in Antarctica and describing every single detail. I didn't need to know all of those details because a lot of them were unimportant until later. And he could have done it a lot better. And then there's just even things about it. Yes, it was a research expedition. They took a lot of tools. I don't need to have all of them listed at me. <laughs> but the person writing it would have written all the tools. But he didn't even use them. No, not in the context of what he was writing. No, he wouldn't. In the have context of a story, he wouldn't have written all that. But Lovecraft tended to like to write extremely in the head of the narrator. But in the story of At the Mountains of Madness, the guy was saying, don't go there because it's dangerous. It, it, the details of what he took and what he did not use was not important. What he took and did use is, but <laughs> not the 13 things he didn't use. Okay. Um, it's very be careful tiring. being too detailed. Right. Yeah. You got to be really careful with that. And like, because it's so easy, at least for me, to just, like I said, just kind of go in every direction. And then, like, <laughs> and then not be able to write anything. Because, I mean, I ran into this with Corlex, uh, which I'm still working on, and I need to actually, like, finish, finish again because I'm on my fourth rewrite. Like, the time started over again. Uh, but, like, every time I do it, I think of more things, and I just keep going farther and farther back <laughs> when I start. And I don't know if that's a good thing. Like, Probably not. There's all these things that are important, but I'm not exactly sure how to reference them without being over, like, I mean, you can always do the flashback, which is one, one way to do it, or like some kind of tangential referencing that eventually gets explained down the road. So like every time I, I think about this story, I want to start farther back on the timeline. And so uh, that's one of those unintended consequences of, you know, building this world like i feel like i need to write an entire book that's not even dealing with the main character that's just talking about the history of the fucking world when i don't need to do that <laughs> you know because there's so many you know there's government bodies and all these things that like are important to the story and how people interact with the environment and you know different planets being under different rules will have these different features and different things and so i'm just like oh, i don't know where to start and i just end up just staring at the computer for an hour than going and playing Dota because I couldn't think of anything to write. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's my issue is, uh, are y'all familiar with the, you know, turtles all the way down, the, that expression? I know, Discworld. Yeah, that's kind of what it, where it comes from, but it's a writing thing. of. So I just keep looking for the bottom <laughs> and there is no bottom, it's just more turtles. <laughs> and that's, that's my <laughs> issue with, with writing and world building. Like, that's, that's probably my biggest... Um, my biggest issue is I have like I, I just keep on going, and so that's why I tend to not world build as much. Is because if I start world building too much, I just keep going, and then I don't know where to write and where to put everything, and I just kind of die. So that that's one of my issues. That's kind of like the opposite problem that most authors tend to have with their stories is um, 
I don't know if it was Sanderson in a lecture or something, but most people start too early. Yes. And they need to start no. closer to the action. Yeah. Definitely. I know Alex and I got into an argument before I wanted to start my story and we'll see if that turns out. But to go back further and start further back tends usually is probably never a good idea. I mean, with my Victorian story, I know like it has to start when she gets out of the asylum because that's when she has the ability to make things happen. So I'm kind of doing almost retrospectively. I need to make things happen closer to that moment versus her story starting later. So like, I mean, maybe like in terms of like what year or month I put it in, that might change or something, but I just need to make sure that those events <laughs> are close enough that it's not too boring in between. But I know it has to start when she gets out. Yeah. Like I was just uh, planning while well, working on the start of that story. And I realized if he's coming back from a transoceanic journey by ship, I don't have the luxury of starting at the season I want because that journey only would have happened at a certain time of year. Yeah. So I have to start at a certain point because that's where my narration decided to start. Right. That's and that, weird. And that is one of those things where if you're, you are doing a, a story that follows our calendar more closely in terms of holidays and those kind of things, you know, if you, depending on when you start your story, you might have to deal with stuff that may or may not have you may or may not have to deal with at another time you know i mean i know it's done on purpose but there's a you know several books around resin that are around halloween so you know that has special things and you know but even in the real world that has special connotations christmas special connotations easter etc etc when i did my reread of dresden i realized how like i read those books the first time so quickly that my impression was that most stories happened around Halloween. I was surprised in my reread how few of them were actually around Halloween. Like, well, like two or three of them that are kind of in that. I mean, Deadbeat's the only one that's like specifically on Halloween, right? But there's some that are and, around uh, there. Cold days. Cold days, yeah. Cold days, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Grave Peril takes place in like earlier October. So it yeah. was still being affected by the idea of Halloween, but not on Halloween. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just fun- found it strange that the impression of Halloween was so powerful in the series that I kind of just assumed they were all around there. I mean, Until right. I went back and reread and was like, A lot okay, of it yeah. does take place in cold months, so you might be lumping yeah. those together. But some Future. of them also take place in hot months. Because it was something, a lot. Yeah. you know, with, with the dynamics of Reservations at 8 is I wanted it to be winter, but I had to figure out a time that it wasn't Christmas. It, you know, I didn't want it to be lumped in as a Christmas love story. I January. Just to, it's immediately not Christmas. Or February. Yeah. February is always like the coldest. Well, at least in New England, it's always like yeah. the freaking coldest month. So it's just month. like January 20th, and it's the furthest away you can be from Christmas and like... Va- Valentine's Day, unfortunately. Yeah, but, and it's cold as shit. <laughs> right. Well, me, yeah. So I was kind of thinking about it of like, okay, where, what day do I want to put it on? Because I, I actually did want it in December. I wanted it leading uh, up to Christmas yeah. because emotions change and things like that so i was like okay last day of the semester that's when this happens which tends to be like the first the eighth or yeah yeah fifth fifth to tenth of december depending on your the the calendar and your cycle and everything so i was like okay this is good (laughs) in my military story i decided that all this shit happening in the first book is going to happen on the finals week of the fall semester just to frustrate one of the side characters (laughs) Nice. And to go with the unintended consequence that hinders a book is, particularly with Rowling in the first six 
Harry Potter's because it's set at a school. Yes. Every climax has to happen in finals. It's yes. just the structure. It has to happen that way. Yeah. And it can be mm. really right. set, stupid. Yeah. The the unintended consequence of location based dates. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can be good and bad, these consequences. It's just right. things that you need to take. But it's also, you know, maybe for the writer, you know, having that structure of, you know, of a semester beginning, you know, because that breaks nicely into about three or four chunks. That might give you a structure to write around that just helps you out. It, it lets you move the story along. Like you don't have to fill the minutiae with what's going on. He's at school. You know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So you can just highlight the moments that you need to Right. Highlight. And that's kind of something I was thinking about with in terms of unintended consequences of the positive unintended consequence of placing your story in familiar settings you know, there's a lot of things like that dresden doesn't have to explain because it's in modern day chicago history I mean, is pretty much the same you know he can tweak events but the majority of history it we as the reader just assume is the same one of my favorite things that dresden gets to do is make snide pop culture snarks and some of them are really good but you just don't get to do that regularly if you're writing fantasy right or or sci-fi for that matter yeah like he gets to get away with so many little jabs at people. I'm trying to. There was one that I read in particular that was just great, but I can't remember it anymore. Well, see, my favorite was in Small Favor. Harry and Thomas get into Thomas's gigantic truck, car, Humvee thing, and he says, "We're going to the place where I'm all powerful." Says Justin or something. I don't remember the exact words. And then Thomas says, "We're going to Burger King." <laughs> <laughs> Thomas had some great lines. And then they like. A thing I run into, especially it's sort of an unintended consequences of sci-fi, um, you know, Korok, because like Korolex is based in our world just down the line, you know, about 500 years in the future. So what pop culture references am I able to deem as worthy enough to have lasted 500 years? Because there's so much from the pop culture from 500 years ago that we still use today. You know, Shakespeare, I don't know if Shakespeare is 500 years, but he was a while, you know, there's... Shakespeare greatly influenced our language and, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, imagery from his plays that we still use in just in our normal culture. So I'm like, okay, at what point does like, is Star Trek still going to be like a thing? Like, or is, is, you know, whoever high going to be doing a plucky rendition of best of both worlds from Star Trek <laughs> Next Generation in 500 years? Like, what is going to be considered fine art? And you have to like, so that's one of those weird world building consequences of doing something in our universe in the future. Because you, you're like, what, how does, you got to extrapolate how today is going to affect way down the line. Yeah. Is someone going to accuse something of jumping the shark or? Right. Yeah. I mean. So um, it's just there's all these different things you got to do. And then you can run into like different theories like I have about what I call social stagnation that I'm actually trying to roll, work into Corlex. Um, so my idea is that as society becomes more and more videotaped, i.e. like we can watch more and more things from 20, 30, 40 years ago, societal evolution slows down. So maybe like because if you this is where i got it from so if you watch the first episode of friends and the last episode of friends the dress a lot of it styles really change but if you watch the first episode of how i met your mother and the last episode of how i met your mother dress styles 
are really similar. Yeah, there's some changes, but it's not nearly as, you know, as noticeable as from early 90s to early 2000s, then from <laughs> mid, mid 2000s or yeah, mid to late 2000s to middle 2010s. So I've, I've got this feeling that as we progress as a society and we can watch more and more old pop culture, our culture will start to stagnate in terms of change. It's just a theory, but so it's someone on, something I'm working with. Episode. Do what? We're on a philosophical episode. Apparently. <laughs> you did remind me of, um, and it was obviously something the writers were, but the last episode of Seinfeld is basically a parade of people accusing the four main characters of all the wrongs, like every episode from the series. All those characters that they had wronged during the course of the series come back and hunt them and good samaritan thing and it's just funny that you had an entire series you end on it by showing the unintended just how terrible they were yeah the <laughs> unintended consequence of you were really shitty to all these people and now look where it gets you mm-hmm. that was, nice that was kind of they did something similar um in scrubs the real finale with zach braff <laughs> not the whole bullshit medical school thing but the more i watch that shit like the more I watch Seinfeld, because I'm, I'm on my first watch of Seinfeld, about season five and a half or so, uh, the more I'm like, oh, wow, Scrubs borrowed a lot from this show. <laughs> more than a lot of shows, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm going to do a slight topic change. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's see. In terms of world building, I know this cool little thing about Dresden was that in the beginning, Jim Butcher had no idea about like the wizard healing faster or better type idea. No, that was pointed out to him by a fan who was a nurse and says, do you have any idea how long it would take to recover from the injuries he's gotten? He's been sh- shot in like both hips and shoulders and he would be in rehab for months and months. And so he just created the wizard healing thing. Not to mention the cumulative long-term mm-hmm. g- degenerative effect of all those right. Things. Yeah. So like the number of concussions he's had. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Then you so, kind of need to make up an excuse. That's there. why it had the explanation in Deadbeat. I don't know when he actually uh, came up with that, but I do know that he didn't intend it in the beginning. <laughs> Someone mm. pointed out to him was like, "You need to like cover that little detail," and he did. I mean, the world was practically built to be able to practically just because Harry needs to get hurt a ton every single time, right? And still be ready to go the next time. Yeah, I mean, Dresden's a good, I mean, granted, I'm not like, I'm a fan, but I'm not like super fan. Um, But Dresden's a really good example of stopping at a certain point. Mm -hmm. So we know that the magic in the the world is just manipulating these natural forces and other things. But how really how that works is never really explained. You know, it's... You know, it's kind of like the force before the whole stupid metachlorian things. It it just was, and at cer- certain points with some of the, some of the stuff with writing, it just has to be. And either you accept the premise or you don't, and that determines how much you like the series. Yeah. Why'd you bring up the M word? <laughs> the what word? Magic. M word. No, the other M word. Metachlorians. Oh. <laughs> I know another little tidbit about world building. That's not Justin, but it was from the Kingkiller Chronicles. It was actually from this interview that Jim Butcher and Patrick Rothfuss did to each other that I learned both these tidbits from. It was great. Um, so the first book of the King Keller Chronicles was like 99% done. And Rothfuss had given it to a beta reader. And he pointed out that, you know, Lutz usually had 
two sets of strings just in case one broke. But strings breaking actually became a very big plot point in the middle of that in the character's development and stuff. So Rothfuss had a panic attack and he had to make that there's a special type of loot that he was using that doesn't have second set of strings. <laughs> described like his whole like body went covered in cold sweat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's like three throwaway. When you're in fantasy. Yeah, and like only that guy would know that that was wrong. It's like he kind of the way he described it, it was just like a sh- offhand remark of, by the way, loots were new a little different than you thought. <laughs> this is the problem that you gotta be a fantasy writer is you feel like you have to be an expert in every single category of things in the world yes. that you mm-hmm. possibly talk about. Yeah. That is... I it's both a curse and it's also really, really... My worst curse when it comes to worlds like not doing something because I do stop and go and research it enough to figure out if I'm getting it right or not. Yeah. That takes way too much time. Yes. Yes, it, it can. I haven't even... With the whole Carlin story and the plague and figuring that out, like, I'm afraid to actually figure it out because the medicine might be completely wrong and I don't want to become a doctor. <laughs> you have to go to medical school that's why like you that. gotta start making friends <laughs> true one thing i have noticed in terms of that if you put it like especially if you like research a few some of the right hashtags like you can kick out a question on twitter or like instagram and you'll have like professional you know doctors and stuff get to you and talk to you about it because they want to be right so that's that's one re- that's one place i've used twitter um, i mean that's the beauty of like um the Ask historians on Reddit is mm. like those moderators are extremely strict strict on what they let be put as an answer. Mm-hmm. Like the number of times I've gone into a thread that is like on my front page and there's no answer, and the moderators are just like, "Yeah, nothing was good enough." <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that but was there. I'll have to check really, those. Check those really out. Good information when you get the right answers. It's fantastic. Like I've been fascinated by topics. I think like one of them was like textiles in like the 1600s, <laughs> but it's so well sourced. It's fascinating. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another fun um, sort of world building uh, unintended consequence. Uh, you know, remember the show family matters from the nineties with Urkel and everything. Urkel was supposed to be in like one or two episodes <laughs> period. And it was, he was not supposed to be a part of the show, but he did so well in the demos when they, uh, like when it hit and all the other things that they had to write him into the show. So be careful. You don't make the characters you want to kill too likable <laughs> or you'll have to write them into your story for longer than you want to. Well, if you're trying to maintain well, a profit instead of drive people to tears. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's always a risk when you're trying to introduce one-off characters but you still want them to be interesting. Yeah, and because you want the, the yeah, death I mean, to hurt. If, I'm not, we're not necessarily talking about characters that get murdered. <laughs> well, but just but, introducing but you run, any side characters for a limited amount of time. But you got to run, like, you, there, there's this really weird fine line in terms of, like, side characters and, like, little characters is too much detail versus mm-hmm. no detail. Because forever... And still is Boba Fett is one of the most popular characters in Star Wars, and for thirty years there was nothing out there about him. He had three lines. Was he? Yeah. It, it was, so it's just that really weird, like the mystery making people like them. You know, also, so they probably should have had his death be more apparent on screen, so they wouldn't have to retcon it later because no one wanted him to be dead. Right. But, but that is one of those, like the unintended consequence of like that kind of thing where you're just like, well, what do we do now? 
you know, you, you, you've killed this person, but the fans don't want him to be dead, so maybe he's dead, or you don't know. And then they ruined him when they gave him a backstory in the original trilogy, in the prequel trilogy. You know right. what people it, do when authors are like, well, what do we do now? They have babies. <laughs> oh, man. I hate it. I hate I hate the child. Okay. And <laughs> there, there are certain times where it's done really well. There are certain times where it's, and most of the time it's done really poorly. Uh, I know I've ranted about this a bit, but we're going to keep going in. <laughs> so Gilmore Girls, they added a child in the last season oh. that was, um, or, or it was right around the end. It was either the last season that was aired before the Netflix stuff or near the end, you know, right around the end of the original run. They added this mystery mysterious love child to throw a wrench in the Luke and Lorelai relationship. And it was just there for that shit. And I hated it. I quit watching. I was like, nope, I'm out. (laughs) But in other things where the child doesn't, isn't, is used in more organic, real ways. Like, um, well, I'm going to have to stop using Dresden because we use it way too much. (laughs) Uh, But, like in Frasier, um, Raj, she has a baby partway through the series. And it's not like or she still does. It, it's it, it's life changing, but in a real way, like her job is still there. She's got to do all these things. She's still trying to flirt and all the, these other things. And the baby starts sort of getting in the way. But it, but it doesn't really change her personality too much. So that was a good way to use a child. Like it was planned for. Is that our first Frasier reference on the show? I think so. Damn. Nice. Uh, I love me some Frasier. I love I've, I've, I I'm watching through it the first time right now. So, like, I know very little. But it's been pretty fun. Yes, it's really good. Uh, the last, like, season and a half are kind of meh. But um, it's really good. It's also super weird watching that show, uh, like, on Netflix. Because, you know, as you're binging through it, you go through like two or three years and the characters reference, oh, that was three years ago, but for you it was like last week, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> or two weeks ago, whatever. So, but I, I enjoy that show a lot. I mean, so babies, babies that come out of nowhere to create conflict can be fun as or long as it's not too contrived. Anything that comes out of nowhere to create conflict. Yeah, but babies, that, babies I mean, they, they can change, they, they, they tend to overchange the dynamic. Or in a way that doesn't make sense. Like in, in Dresden, him being overly protective because he was an orphan um, makes, makes, makes a lot of sense. And so him being, and we've already seen him, he, he talks at length about how he, you know, woman in distress will always, he'll always be there to help her and do something stupid to help her. So it's not just his you, you know, it's it's a girl. I think I think the dynamic would be different if it was a boy. Like, yeah, it's a girl who's in trouble. That it's his child, and all these yeah. things that his stupid his his blind spots actually make sense. But that took every single blind spot. I think right. It, it just you know he, so that makes sense. Where a lot of times, you know, <laughs> it comes out of the blue and. In a lot of a lot of times when I see it, it's the characters react stupidly in or in a way that they've never really acted towards each other. Like and that's what causes know. the conflict. Like Luke in Gilmore Girls, I'll just use this as an example, he's always really straightforward with Lorelai. 
always just that, that's kind of his shtick as a character he's just right you know but when this mysterious daughter of his shows up he starts lying to her about it it's like if he had just told her the truth from word go this wouldn't be an issue but it was so out of context and out of character for him it didn't make sense like if he had been lying to her the entire time sure it makes sense but is there anything worse than like excessive conflict caused by failures to communicate properly I mean, especially I mean, it, when it comes to characters who communicate well in other situations. It, it's so fucking tropey. Yeah. Like that is like one of the biggest pet peeve tropes for, of me, and you see it a lot, especially in like sitcoms. Um, but I just uh, it, it kills me. Yeah, or exactly. or when just like people just become too stupid. Like they're really intelligent, really smart, and I I've seen it. I've seen it with you know people and their kids, and they get just like really weird about it. But for the most part, people don't. At least from you know what who the people i've been around and so like you just get stupid weird about their kids and i don't like that trope either and yet that one's really true well that's what i'm saying like i've seen it both ways but more often than not most of the people i know they didn't like they they're obviously different but it's not like this huge fundamental personality shift and you see that a lot in like tv and writing and that kind of crap i mean so i think it's it's a normal thing that people can do for something that since it's a huge life change, mm-hmm. it could be a huge personality change depending on the person. But if you do that to a character in a story, you're at risk of turning off all of your followers. Right. Right. Because, because... they're no longer the person we wanted. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the big unintended risk of that. It's like, if you make that huge change out of nowhere, right. Then it's, it's gotta be logical. Like in Dresden, yeah. His change, while extreme, makes sense. You know, you can have extreme changes if you've been building up those personality traits in them. (laughs) And, you know, so maybe even though it seems extreme, maybe it isn't because you've established it as a possibility. I mean, I've read books essentially of a character in particular slowly going insane because of the choices he was making. And they're very small increments. But, you know, the first page to the last page is drastically different. Mm-hmm. But that's okay because it was showing the slow changes. A great example of that is Rand Althor in the middle of time and how because of who he is, he starts off as a sheep herder. Yep. And by the end of the book, he's contemplating destroying the rage. <laughs> and just the, but it took him a long time to get there. It's a very slow progression caused by both his decisions and mm-hmm. But it, right. it's a it's and, a good um this is a good example of the overton window have you all familiar with that psychological concept so it's the idea that um arguments you know in society um they can only take place within a certain scope so you know imagine a window that so everything anything outside the window is deemed too extreme but you can slowly move the window through discourse and other things to where you've moved it so far one direction or the other, however you want to look at it, that what used to be considered in the middle and normal is now considered extreme. So you can do that with your characters where if you slowly inch them along from normal to psychopath, once you get to the psychopath, that normal just, it it doesn't even work anymore because it's not in the window. Mm -hmm. That does make a lot of sense, especially Mm -hmm. for characters. In, right. It's one of those things where you look at it and like, uh, okay, I mean, I think we're originally developed was in um, like political discourse and you can see it now. Like, Oh God. Yeah. 
Like if you it were to like right. look back at like Bill Clinton's presidency, he'd be a hardcore Republican now. You know, like a lot of his stuff would be considered right wing because the you know both both political parties' windows have shifted so much. Um, so, but yeah, but that's but, how I, I mean, when you're yeah. when you're looking at moving characters, you got to stay in this window. But if you compare, say, American politics to European politics, our entire window is skewed far yes. to the right. So it depends right. on, mm. like your characters can, across the story, be in completely different windows. Right, mm-hmm. but when the reader looks at the character, they have that window around them mm. because how the the windows been you you've built the window of their perception. So you gotta you can't yank that window too hard without jolting the reader and maybe turning them off. And that's what I like, especially in sitcoms where like the Gilmore Girls example is like. We don't know what to do. We need to create more shit. So everything's getting jerked in one direction way too hard and too fast. That's right. what happened with the child. And mm-hmm. I, you know, when babies happen in various stories, it can be that. I don't think it was that in Dresden just because it was so planned. Dresden mm-hmm. felt like you were staring through the exact same window. Yes. Right. Like it was, Even though if you go back and read, you realize how much the window has shifted. Yes, yeah. and it has shifted, and it's been highlighted a lot of times. And but you can see where and when and how far it's been shifted, mm-hmm. and that's like you have that progression, so everything feels natural. But you know, child appearing out of nowhere with no warning, and like, and then characters acting stupid—that's when it's bad. To be fair, it wasn't a baby. Yeah, it was just like remember six years ago. Yeah, that was actually a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't tell you. <laughs> well, I mean. In, well, just just you know, inside baseball, like Gilmore Girls, like that last season, they had like fired the writers and the, the original creator, so it was like brand new writers, and that's when you get all that this. makes sense. <laughs> My favorite story like that though is from Star Trek: Best of Both Worlds. So the the main writer, the main writing crew for Star Trek: Next Generation, was in this really bad contract talk, and so what they did because they didn't think they were going to get rehired is they wrote. The first half of Best of Both Worlds, which is the one where Picard gets captured by the Borg, et cetera, um, thinking, look, we're going to give the next writing crew something impossible to write out of. And then they got rehired. So they had to dig out of the hole they created. Interesting. So there's an unintended consequence. Of I've been watching through Next Generation, like the first season, like pretty much for the first time. I have no real idea of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed a trend in some of the, the writing that if Gene Roddenberry was directly involved, I kind of don't like it. <laughs> well, here, the My first... love story with Star, Trek, Star Wars. Um, yes. Uh, but the first two seasons were a lot of um, original series scripts that they repurposed because of how just... It was weird how the writing was done, but that's why a lot of people say Star Trek The Next Generation gets really good in season three. Because that's when they be- started becoming completely <laughs> original scripts. And same thing with The Office and Parks and Rec, where they both flourished once they stopped trying to mimic for The Office, the, mm-hmm. the British one. Or Parks and, like Parks and Rec, the first season is way too similar to The Office in feel and tone. And right. Once they abandon that and let the characters flourish, it's mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah, it's okay to not try to imitate something else. It's okay yeah. to draw inspiration from something and then breathe new life into it in a completely different direction. Stories that do do that. And I mean, I would throw Wheel of Time. I just started rereading the first book for I think the third time now. And like, it is 
the first book is really, really Lord of the Rings inspired. And that was what was selling at the time Robert Jordan wrote the book. But once he gets beyond that and sort of abandons the formula of Lord of the Rings, it gets so much better. Right. And you do see that in a lot of first books uh, that they're like, okay, I need to get something that is popular. So they, they write it. And then once you start getting into the world where they can, they're established, they can do more of their own thing. You see that a bit more. Yeah. Like when I think the very first, the very first bad person that shows up on the screen in wheel of time is a black cloaked writer. (laughs) Nice. He makes them interesting, but at the same time, it's a ring with on page. Like that's just what it is in reality. That's the danger. But I mean, it was what was selling. So right. Well, then also, dark cloaked writers are so much fun. Unintended consequence of like I didn't want to continue reading Rule of Time because it was the same as everything else had been. When you are that derivative, it's it's a lot better. I know what what the feel is. Like I'm not interested in this anymore. I'd say halfway through the first book really kicks off. I had no interest in the second book of the more traveled because I'm pretty sure towards the last page of the first book was like, we have to travel on the other side of the world. It's like, fuck you. (laughs) That's fancy. We travel everywhere. Not necessarily. It's okay to just, you know, stay in one spot, like a city. He's still in the same city, but he's still running across the city all day long. But that takes an hour and a year. Right. Well, her her issue is... You don't mind the traveling. You mind the like plotting, writing of traveling. Right. <laughs> so either make the traveling interesting or skip over the traveling. Mm-hmm. I mean, Wheel of Time did try to make the traveling interesting. I do remember it. Like there was, they, they ran into like wolves and gypsies and at one point religious zealots and, and stuff like yep. that. But it's just, you know, I need to get from A to B and I need a bunch of obstacles. And so they're just random obstacles. They didn't mean things. Couldn't, couldn't that just be the description of plotting a book? <laughs> Those obstacles should be important. Um, things to slow see. them down. Okay, so you mentioned wolves, gypsies, and crazy religious people. I know the wolves stick around. The wolves are extremely important. The gypsies are extremely important. And the religious people are extremely important. They did not feel that way. And that it's a shortcoming mm-hmm. in Robert Jordan's attempt to interest you. But all three of those are very important in the long run, particularly the wolves. I know the wolves stick around. I didn't know about the other stuff. The gypsies, particularly one of the gypsies you meet, comes back for a long time. And the religious people have their own subplot. One of my favorite subplots, actually. He does a decent job in the first book of being a lot of the players. Okay. Which is one of the things I think Dresden does. He mentions a lot of things early on that come back later. Yeah. It's one thing that he tries to do right because if you foreshadow it early, it's not a surprise later. It's not good for it to be a total surprise. So in his first books, you do notice that he's stretching, like it's a little bit more whimsical in order to try to explain and set the yeah. standards of normal things of the world. I was going to mention when we were talking about minute details, the danger of that and uh, Chekhov's gun, where if you spend too much time describing details, your readers are going to expect it to come back. Yes. So if you spend a long time describing someone's coat, People expect that coat to mean something later. But if you're writing a fantasy series and you just do passing detail on things as you go, it makes a hell of a lot more coherent story in the long run when you bring those things back up later. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of struggling with the amount of detail I want to put in for the Victorian stories, like because some of the details I really enjoy. And then it's like, are they important? And I don't know yet. That's one of the things 
with Malazan and how he is so averse to detail at times is that it is all in the background and it exists, but he only tells you when it's relevant. So you can world build and design all these things you want to show and then not reveal them to the reader until... Until they're important. Until they're important. Yeah. And then I'm just kind of like, because I'm at a stage of research, of like, do I want to make it important? And that becomes questionable. I do particularly like in Malazan how in the second book he has the people be rescued by this magical world-traveling, hopping trade guild that comes out of nowhere and saves them. And then in the third book that happens parallel with the second one, he shows them setting it up. Hmm. And it's interesting. Yeah, okay. But kind of the opposite of throw something at you and then explain it later, which can also work. Apparently it did. It can. Or toss something at you that seems unimportant and make it relevant later. Right. I mean, for, for certain things, if you know it's important, sort of like the flashback or something, then you're more apt to pay attention to it because you know it's important. It might be more minutia, you know, more detail, like setting something up or how certain things happen, but you know it's important, so you pay attention to it. So if you're doing that without that context, you got to figure out a way to make it feel important. You know, you don't know how it's going to be, you know, affecting the series, but it's got to affect the series somehow and you got to make it feel like it's important. And that does when it comes to structuring a story. If you do a flashback, you can bet your readers are going to be paying attention because the flashback tends mm-hmm. to, like, you wouldn't do a flashback if it wasn't going to be important. Right. I don't know. I never know how to do flashbacks right. Like, that is one of those things, like, it's every hard. time I do one, I feel dirty when I do it. But even though it's not a bad thing, it's just... How many okay. flashbacks do we have in Dresden? Um, ghost story. I mean, that's a, an entire book. Ghost story. Which but there, there's very few just like legit flashbacks it's just like explaining what happened yeah. this, I imagine this. like in ghost story in order for him to do his magic he needed to work on his memories so he was yeah. actually going through his memories to do it so there's bits and pieces of that like mm. the first time he was able to do the fire spell uh then there's the fight with justin and, and those things those are genuine flashbacks oh right oh god yeah. mm-hmm. right about. right but I mean, then there's a lot of times when not in a real flashback that you're getting memories and it's okay to show the memories because people reminisce. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's just a really biz. Yeah. I forgot like, how I mentioned this to Jacob, but how frustrating for me, at least I have issues with skin game in that he hides a major plot point in a flashback that happens after the fact. Yeah. That's a, genuine flashback that it's a genuine flashback that hides the entire key to the story that happens after he implements the key i do like rereading it then going like all the times like oh now i know the code of how they're talking i mean that code is extremely (laughs) simple works it kind of but it's frustrating to hide important details he hides important details like that all the time dresden does that all the time yeah i was gonna say uh turn code and what's the one with uh White Knight when he skimps on the conversation between Tristan and Marcone, then Marcone shows up. <laughs> but you know there was a conversation, so when he does show up and it's Marcone, okay, yeah. that's what he talked about. The mm. same thing when uh, in Turncoat when Harry's talking to Ebenezer and it's like, I think this is what's going on, but you don't get to know that until like an hour later. Yeah, but then right. he doesn't do does that it all the time. Like <laughs> if I'm kind of surprised, like if they had done that in Skin Game where he just said to Mab, "Hey, I've got someone. I, I got some." something I got to do before I go to Nicodemus's. And then the next chapter is him going to Nicodemus's. You know something happened, but I don't remember that happening. It might have. Well, 
No, I think it was just Mab beating the shit out of him and then he arrives at Murphy's, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird that Butcher did that when he's done it so well in the past. I think it still worked. It, it frustrated me. <laughs> They're for the Dresden Files podcast, please. <laughs> hey, last time hey. High Fantasy infected Dresden. Eh, we're taking turns. It, hey, we talked to, yeah, I was going to say, we talked about High Fantasy. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, what do we have? Unintended consequences of having multiple podcasts. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think we've hit pretty much everything we need to hit before we start. No, just... We haven't done Mistborn at all. No. Oh, well. I haven't gotten my obligatory Director Alex stabbing somebody reference, so I guess the streak is broken. I, I did hit on a... Murders. Not, yeah, not every introduced <laughs> character is there to be... Murder. Not every one-up character has to die. They're just not come. Ooh, one thing I do want to throw out there as a viewing uh, recommendation is Into the Fucking World on Netflix. Really good. Okay, I've seen the end. Really dark. But it's like eight episodes, so you can... Okay. Like it's eight twenty minute episodes, so you can bust it out in like an evening pretty easily. But it's it's really good. But yeah, it's you kind of get kicked in the teeth a little bit at the end. <laughs> but yeah, it's worth watching. Another, I, I actually that's a, that would be a show about unintended consequences. So there is a major plot point in like third or fourth episode that has major ramifications for the rest. Like he did the right thing, but had major ramifications for the rest of the show. Good, good good watch on how to like showing how doing the right thing can also be a negative and have and negative go, consequences and to go back to Mistborn mm-hmm. they spend the entire book talking about how the Lord Ruler did the wrong thing keeping the power for himself when Ben gets the power it's like I'm gonna do the right thing and release it oh shit it's an actual evil, evil demon spirit thing yeah <laughs> I mean even before that like there's when they did describe what the Lord Ruler did with the power when he had it at the first point he wanted to save the planet like it was too cold it was too far away from the sun so he moved it closer to the sun but he moved it too far close so then it was burning everything so he created the mists that dominated the geography in order to stop the burning uh and that's one of like the key plot points in wheel of time is the people in the ancient history accidentally so you have the creator who imprisoned the dark lord at the beginning of time in a prison and the people in the high period of magic ancient history accidentally bore into that prison searching for more power. And they was like, wow, there's a big source of power in there. We're going to go look for it. And they broke into his prison, which let the Lord, the dark Lord reach out and affect things. But then what happened was um, the male hero of it in the past went to the prison to try to patch it and using the male side of the magic attempted to do it. But what that led happened was the dark Lord tainted the, male source which means men go crazy if they can use magic so in the first book when rand can use magic spoiler you already have a timeline that he'll go crazy that's fun though it is fun he goes it's particularly fun from his point of view because it doesn't seem crazy but he's definitely a little crazy and getting crazier as it goes but that was one hell of a unintended consequence when you know we're gonna go fight the dark lord no women will join us just men hmm they show up and doom creation and all men do go mad if they can use magic. Do we have anything else to add with this episode? Not that I can think of right now. I'm sure we'll we'll have unintended consequences yeah. part 18 somewhere down the road. Time turners. <laughs> yeah, you're just going to throw for that then time turners. A lot of our old podcasts actually. <laughs> oh, I, I could go like off on Harry Potter and unintended consequences like or 
Like stupid decisions that led to stupid things. The entire fourth book and Harry and that we're not going to talk about. Or, you know, Voldemort just like not throwing the child out the window instead of like, <laughs> like there's a thousand ways for a very grown man to kill a child. And he went with the one way that wouldn't work. Well, yeah, but he went one way that he, that makes sense. Still, 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 still. Unintended consequence of being who you are, you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Unintended consequence of dying for your child. Yep. Well, that's an intended consequence. She didn't know, but she didn't realize that one. But she knew the charm would protect him. I don't think she did when she died. I think that was part of it. Like, she was it, very skilled in charms. That was one of the things about her. Only die. No, Not I'm still confused at if that's the case, then didn't James die for her and Harry? But he didn't cast the charm. She did. I don't think it takes a. You don't have to cast it. It just happens. Uh, I don't remember enough of these details. I don't think it's well. an actual charm. It's just the way love magic works. Oh. Yeah, that's kind of. This was I... something that was explained in the seventh book. I only read that one once. No. I do like how he uses that to protect the entire Hogwarts staff and student body. That seems a little excessive for a charm, but... <laughs> Whatever works, right? It did give us the most badass moment in the books when Neville cut the head of the snake off. It's still my favorite scene. Oh, yeah. Neville's awesome. He's my favorite character. Oh, God, yeah. It, there's an entire nerdcore rap song based on Neville. <laughs> oh, it's, it's for reals. I did just listen to the F Plus episode where they uh, did the computer-generated Harry Potter chapter. Oh, I haven't listened to that one. Oh, dear God. <laughs> There's a lot of Harry Potter in, in F Plus, and that is yeah. because of The unintended consequence of using a lot of the same language when you're writing your books is if a computer is going to generate a story, you're going to get some really backward-sounding things going on because you use this phrase so often the computer is going to just use it. Yeah. Even if it doesn't work. So cool. I, I do All think right, we've so, run out of topics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can find us at brokenjars.xyz. You can find me on Twitter at uh, J- at Jacob Ingalls. You can. What else can you do? Uh, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash brokenjars. Uh, you can do all sorts of cool stuff to interact with us if you want to. Um, I much recommend you do so. Um, these jokers don't do anything on social media, so don't get your hopes up. Mm. I'm on uh, Discord. If yeah, yeah if you want to like give us a couple bucks a month, hop on Discord and uh, chat with us. Because yeah, we're always kind of around. Even when I'm not around, I'm around. <laughs> <laughs> I just I have the notifications on my phone, so like people yeah. someone posts something, like, all right. <laughs> Discord is a great tool. Yeah, it's been yeah, great for yeah, it is. So, yeah, you can check out my other podcast, uh, Great Scott, which is about The Office. We are in the middle of season seven, so we have got a pretty good back catalog if you want to check out that. Uh, The Dresden Files podcast, which features director Alex, and last episode uh, also featured Colin. We talked about Lovecraft. It was fun. Um, I don't know what other shows we have going right now. Dangerous to go alone, I assume. Uh, yeah, I think that's still that's still a thing. Uh, but yeah, so you can do that and uh, yeah, check us out. Um, say hi. You can email us at brokenjarsbroadcasting@gmail.com. We actually got some fan mail the other day. It was very exciting. Nice. Everyone was excited. <laughs> so yes, yeah, going we, on a long time. We will see y'all next time. Thanks for joining. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.